looking through the book of Zechariah. This is a book all about promises that God makes to us. As Pastor has kind of talked about these last few weeks, as we look through the minor prophets, they aren't necessarily minor in the sense that a minor league baseball player isn't as good at space, isn't as good at baseball as a major league baseball player. They're just smaller books. So today we're going to look through this book of Zechariah, and in Zechariah, God gives Zechariah just a ton of dreams, and ultimately we're going to see how all of those dreams come together in our text for today, the promise that God makes. So let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for bringing us here to worship you and learn all about the amazing promises that you give us through your son Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so as we get started, let's kind of set the stage a little bit for Zechariah. Let's see what was going on with the Israelites when this book was written. So the Israelites, when this was written, they just returned from exile. You see, what had happened was the Israelites... They kept sinning over and over and over again, and they just couldn't get it right. And finally, God kind of had to put the hammer down a little bit. And he said, that's enough. I have to punish you. And he did that by having the Babylonians, a completely different country, come in and conquer Israel. And the Babylonians came in and took the Israelites and deported them. They sent them away to live in a foreign country. That crushed the Israelites. That was a really tough time for them. Then the Persians came in, a completely different country, and they conquered the Babylonians. And the Persians said to the Israelites that they could go back home. They could go back to the place that they wanted to, that they wanted to call home. And that was great for Israel. They were really happy about that. But there was still sadness in them, because they were still not their own country. They were still under the oppression of this separate country, Persia. They weren't quite the sovereign nation that they once were when guys like King David or King Solomon ruled Israel. So they were a pretty dejected people. They didn't have a whole lot of hope. It was a pretty sad time. So in Zechariah, we see God trying to lift their spirits by making these promises of a great future and a Savior who's going to come and restore Israel. And he does this, God does this in some pretty weird, strange ways. I mean, he gives Zechariah all of these dreams. There's dreams about flying scroll and a red horse and all kinds of just really funky kind of strange things. But ultimately, all of those dreams come together for our text today, which we're going to reread together. Just one verse of it, verse 9. So read this with me. There we go. Rejoice, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So here we see this promise that God's people, that God is giving to his people. And you might be familiar with this text. It's common around Palm Sunday as it talks about Jesus coming into Jerusalem and his triumphant entry on a donkey. This is a promise that God makes to his people, though. This Savior is going to come in. He's going to restore Israel. He's going to do these great things for his people. We're going to take this text, though, and we're going to break it down into three parts. See, it tells all these characteristics that the Savior is going to have. So we're going to break down this into three parts and see what those three characteristics are of this coming Savior. So let's look at this first one. We're going to read each of these together. So let's read this first part together. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. You see, this coming king, this coming savior, he is going to bring joy. 
he's going to cause, he's going to give a reason to rejoice. That's something that Israel hadn't had for a really long time. I mean, they've been exiled, they've been sent away, and then they got sent back to their homeland. They're still under all this oppression. They're dejected, hopeless, sad people. Not a whole lot that's gone right for them recently. There hasn't really been a reason for joy. But this coming king, he is going to bring a reason for joy. There's hope that comes with it. So that's that first characteristic that we see. Let's read this next section together. It's the second characteristic. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. See, this coming savior, this coming king, he's going to be good. He's going to be righteous. He's going to follow God. Israel hadn't been able to do that for a really long time. The whole reason why they got exiled, is they, the reason they've had all these bad things happen to them, is because they couldn't keep the law. They couldn't be good. They couldn't be righteous. But this guy who's coming, this savior, he can do that. He can keep the law. He can be righteous. That's a huge reason for hope for Israel. So that's the second characteristic. We saw first that he's going to bring joy. Second, we see he's going to bring righteousness and salvation. Now let's look at the third one. Read this together with me. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, this one is kind of strange. This guy's a king who's coming. He's going to bring joy. Good and righteous and bring salvation. Yet, he's riding in on a donkey. He's showing a lot of humility. I mean, if you think about all these things, all this hope that this king is bringing, you would think he'd be riding in with a huge parade, pomp, circumstance, fanfare, trumpets, all the works. That's what he deserves, right? He's going to do all these great things. Yet instead, we see in this promise that he's going to be riding in on a donkey, on a humble animal. So that's the third characteristic we see of this promised Savior. He's going to be humble. He's going to show humility. So that's kind of the promise that we have. That's all three characteristics. He's going to bring joy, he's going to be righteous, and he's going to be humble. That's the promise that the Israelites have. Now let's see how good is God at keeping his promises. Let's kind of explore God's track record. Could the Israelites trust God to keep his promise? Now, throughout the entire Bible, there are numerous examples of God keeping his promises. But because, I'm sure you guys don't want me to stand up here for two hours to go over every single promise, right? I could do that. You don't want me to, right? <laughs> well, we're only going to go over two of those promises, just for the sake of time. And the first of those is about a guy named Abraham. See, Abraham, he was just a normal guy in the Old Testament. And God came to Abraham, and he said, look at the stars in the sky. That's how many descendants you're going to have someday. And Abraham said, wow, that's great. I'm so excited for that, God. Thank you, but I have a problem. I don't have any kids, and I'm old, and my wife is really old. See, the odds of Abraham having any children at his age and his wife's age is nearly impossible. And that promise wasn't fulfilled right away either. It kind of took some time to get around. See, Abraham got older and his wife got older. And they started wondering, well, when is God going to keep his promise to us? When is God going to give us a son? Oh, my God. 
we go. Wow. That's crazy. I can hear myself now. <laughs> well, anyway, now I lost my train of thought. Where was I? Abraham. Um, he was like, when are we going to get a son? When is God going to keep his promise to us? And he started doubting God in a lot of ways. But despite Abraham's doubt, God still kept his promise to him. God delivered him a son. His name was Isaac. God kept his promise to Abraham. He did the miraculous. He gave an old man a son. He kept his promise. And I said there were two promises that we're going to go over. And the second of them comes about the Israelites wanting to get into the promised land. You see, this was another part of God's promise to Abraham that someday all of Abraham's descendants were going to live in this magnificent land called the promised land. It was just the perfect place to live. There was milk and honey, all kinds of great things. The just ideal home is exactly what the Israelites needed. But some time went on and Abraham died and his descendants started to expand to become this great nation. But then some more time went on and they found themselves in slavery in Egypt. And as they were toiling away and working hard every day, they started wondering, when is God going to keep his promise to us? When's God going to bring us into the promised land? God heard his people, though, and he brought up a man named Moses to lead them out of slavery, out of Egypt. And at first, the Israelites were like, we're finally going to the promised land. God's finally going to keep his promise to us. But then they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. No promised land yet. And once again, that grumbling and that doubting started to come back up again. They started thinking, when is God going to keep his promise to us? When's he going to bring us into the promised land? Will he ever do it? Despite the Israelites' doubt, he kept his promise. He brought up another guy named Joshua to lead the Israelites into the promised land. God kept his promise. See, because of the unchanging, all-powerful, and all-loving nature of God, we can trust his promises. You can go to the next slide. We can trust the promises of our Savior. See, we can see all the way back from creation to now, our God is still the exact same. He's unchanging. We can see he's all-powerful as he performs the miraculous, as he provides Abraham with this son, even in his old age. And we see that all-loving nature of God and how he sends his son Jesus to be the ultimate promise keeper as he keeps the promise that God gives in our text for today. Just a little bit ago, we kind of broke down those three characteristics of this coming Savior. So let's kind of take those three characteristics and line them up next to Jesus. How does Jesus do with all these characteristics? Is he able to fulfill this promise? And we're going to do this in a little different order. We talked about joy the first time. This coming Savior is going to bring joy. We're going to do that last. We'll talk about that third. So the first one we will talk about is that this coming Savior is going to bring righteousness and salvation. He's supposed to be good right? Well, Jesus wasn't just good. He was perfect. See, where we keep sinning, just like the Israelites, over and over and over again, Jesus didn't. He kept the law perfectly. He did not sin one time. Couldn't be more righteous than Jesus. See, he went out into the wilderness for 40 days, 
And he was tempted by Satan every single day, and he didn't break the law one time. He was righteous. So we see Jesus check that characteristic. Next one we'll talk about is that this coming Savior is supposed to be humble. So I'm riding in on a donkey, not with all the pomp and circumstance and the fanfare. See, Jesus, he didn't come to just be a normal king. He didn't come for all that pomp and circumstance and the trumpets and the parades. He didn't come to do things that an earthly king would do. He came to serve. He came to get down on his knees and wash feet, to serve the sick, the sinner, the scarred. He came to be humble. And he allowed that humility to carry him straight to the cross. Where he allowed himself to bear our sin. See, again, we're the ones who keep sinning over and over and over again. We can't be righteous. We're the ones who should have been on that cross, not Jesus. But he humbled himself and said, I love you so much that I'm going to take on your punishment. And I'm going to bear all of that, all of that sin on the cross as I die, as I humble myself to your level and die for you. That's a kind of humility that no earthly king could ever show. So we see Jesus checks that box off too. Now last, the last final characteristic that we have yet to talk about is that this coming Savior is supposed to bring joy. Jesus' death brought a lot of sadness and a lot of sorrow in a lot of ways. But that sadness and sorrow doesn't even come close to comparing to the joy that was seen on the third day when Jesus rose again and walked out of that tomb alive. He walked out of that tomb having defeated sin, death, and the devil. He proclaimed to all of Satan and to all of eternity that he reigns. Sin no longer reigns. He does. Sin no longer rules over us because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Because of that, we're free to rejoice over the fact that because of Jesus, we are free from condemnation. We no longer have to worry about the effect that our sin has on our eternity. Because Jesus rising again on the third day gives us another promise. And that's one of eternal life. One where we'll be able to experience an eternity where there's no sin, no heartbreak, no sorrow, no death. Because Jesus defeated it all. That's a kind of joy. That freedom, that gives us a joy that nothing else could compare to. So he checks that box off too. Jesus fulfills that promise that the Old Testament Israelites were getting, had gotten so long ago. And even though that promise did come a long time ago, it still has a lot of relevance for us today. I mean, in our world, it's broken. Our world is not a very good place a lot of times. Think about overseas right now. There's a war going on in Israel where innocent people are dying. Here at home, we have people in hospitals, people who are dying. It's a sad place. There's a lot of hardship and trouble that we go through. But even despite all of that, we can rest assured because we know that we've got the promise of eternal life. We've got a promise that guarantees that we're going to live a life where none of that exists. Or we can rest. We can have peace. That gives us hope. God made us people of promise. And as people of promise, we can trust in Christ's finished work.
See, we can see the whole story. We can see from the beginning to the end that God kept his promise to Abraham. He kept his promise to the Israelites in getting them to the promised land. And he kept his promise to the Israelites in providing a savior. And God's going to keep his promise of eternal life to us too. God's going to deliver us away from our sin into a world of peace. We can rest forever with our loved ones in a place where there's no sin, no death, no heartbreak. All of those hardships are gone, wiped away. And because here at Holy Savior, we are looking at growing in Jesus and sharing his love, we want to be responding to God's promise by sharing it to the rest of the world. And we can do this in three ways. First, we can do it with joy. We've got a joy because God died, Jesus died for us. He died on the cross and rose again so that we could have this promise of eternal life. So we can go out into our life with a smile on our face, even in the midst of those hardships and those tough things that we experience. We've got joy. Because we have a Savior who loves us so much that he died. And he's given us this great promise. Now another way that we can share his love, the second way, is we can be embracing the humility that Christ showed us. See, Jesus died on the cross. He humbled himself all the way to the point of death for us. And we can use that as a model in our own lives as we go out and serve other people. I mean, think about the things that you're able to do to serve. You can volunteer with Trunk or Treat. There's numerous things that you can do to serve other people, not only in the church, but also out in the rest of the world. As we do that, as we show that we're serving others, we're modeling that same humility that Christ showed us. So then our third way that we can be sharing in Jesus' love is just by offering hope to this broken world. A world where there is sin. It runs rampant. It's everywhere. We can remind others that this promise of hope that God gave us, this promise of eternal life, it's not just a promise of eternal life for us. It's a promise for everyone. And it's our job to go out into the world and share that love to other people, share that promise of eternal life, that we will experience a life where there's no sin, no hardship. Because we've got a God who keeps his promise. So as we go out into our world today, think about this question. How can you share the hope that God's promise gives us? Let's close in a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to be the ultimate promise keeper to keep the promise of a Savior who's coming to save his people, and to give us a new promise of eternal life, a life where there's no sickness, no death, no hardship. Help us to be able to go out into the world and show the same humility you did as we serve others and offer the promise of eternal life to every single person. In your name we pray. Amen.